Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is for the week ending July 30th, 2020. We're recording a day early because I won't be able to record tomorrow night. So I'd like to kick it off with our first part, which is the media clips on Monday. I was on Fox Business with Liz Clayman for the Clayman Countdown. Thanks to Liz and to Ellie Terrett for inviting me on. And during that segment, Liz asked me if there was anything I was concerned about uh, in the markets. And the number one thing that came to mind, this was on Monday, was the extension of the enhanced unemployment benefits, uh, which affects directly and indirectly some 30 million people, and whether they could get that passed uh, by the end of the week or at latest early next week to keep those checks going to the people that uh, have been most affected by the shutdown. Uh, that that's number one. So it looks like uh, there's a lot of back and forth this week uh, that may or may not happen. But I, I do think one thing is on the table that could be a game changer, and that is uh, President Trump may have emergency authorities to keep those checks going without approval from Congress, in which case uh, there would be no need to negotiate a fourth stimulus package. We've not even used... Uh, put 50% of the amount that's already been allocated in the previous three packages to work. So uh, there's a lot of runway, a lot of things uh, that we can use if they are unable to get a stimulus package agreed to. But if they are, then you could not only get the enhanced unemployment, but you could also get the stimulus checks, which would be very positive for the economy and everyone wants uh, for the lower income uh, people that need it the most. And there are a number of things that are in the Republican package uh, that Chair Powell referenced in the FOMC meeting the, uh, on Wednesday, which is in particularly relevant to the banks. So uh, it's called the Collins Amendment, which would relax capital requirements uh, and give the Fed authority to adjust the tier one leverage ratio for banks. It could be a temporary measure, which is what uh, Chair Powell was talking about. Many other bank regulators have done that. And the basis here is uh, that it would enable banks to increase their balance sheets, which would afford more lending, which would afford uh, more profit making, which would be good for the recovery. So assuming they actually do push a, de uh, a bipartisan deal through, and this is part of it, this would be a huge catalyst for the banks. It would be a huge catalyst for the recovery with credit extension uh, to Main Street. And uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. If not, I don't think we fall off a cliff because I do think President Trump can keep those enhanced unemployment checks going. I don't think it'll be 100% of what it was, $600 a week, because uh, anecdotally we're seeing that many people have been disincentivized to return to work because they're making more staying at home than they were in their jobs. But I do think it would be somewhere between what the Republicans are uh, asking, which is 200 extra a week. The Democrats are asking 600 a week, probably somewhere in the middle, about 400 a week would do the job. And hopefully they can either come together on that or uh, President Trump could get it done with an executive emergency order. Um, so that's that. The other issue that I, I covered uh, in the Fox Business interview was 
the idea of yield curve control and Chair Powell alluded to more tools and more guidance moving forward. We'll cover some of that uh, just now in the FOMC statement. But the yield curve control is very important because it targets the short end of the curve, unlike 1947, where they targeted the long end of the curve to hold rates down. Here they'd be pinning it down to the five-year treasury, which would dramatically steepen the yield curve and basically pour buckets of money into banks, which in turn will lend buckets of money to Main Street and to consumers and to small businesses. So it would be a good thing all around, and that's probably more of a conversation as we move towards September. So a couple major catalysts uh, potentially for the banks coming down the pike. Thank you again to Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman for having me on. For those of you keeping score, this is the 41st video cast and the 31st podcast. So uh, we're, we're humming right along here. It's just time flies. Uh, also on Monday night, I went on CGTN America with Mike Walter. Thanks for having me on. Also to AI Zing for inviting me on to uh, Mike's show. And this is was right after they put out the Republican Heals Act and... I did a compare and contrast to the uh, previous bill from the Democrats, um, and basically there were three core agreements. They, they agreed on, on uh, doing another round of the stimulus checks at $1,200, $500 for dependents for lower income. They agreed on money for testing, $16 billion, the Republicans, the Democrats wanted more. And they agreed on extending the PPP program for small businesses. Where they disagree was the size of aids to states. They disagreed about li liability protection for businesses and schools to open up for uh, COVID liability. And they disagree on voter ID and mail-in voting. And I think this is ultimately the issue that destroys the chances of doing a deal. Um, this is something that the both parties feel uh, very strongly about. And, uh, and I think that's why we're more likely to see um, either a carve-out deal, which would handle the stimulus checks and the um, enhanced unemployment extension, or we'd see an executive order. But uh, I, I don't think you're going to see agreement around liability protection and uh, uh, mail-in voting. So, so those are the key sticky points, and the drama will create some chop and volatility in the next 24 to 48 hours, probably by the time you're listening to this. So um, those were the core things that they agreed on uh, and disagreed on. And, uh, you know, they go to recess on August 7th. So it's very low probability that they get a comprehensive deal agreed to, which would have been nice, particularly with regard to the Collins Amendment which would help the banks lend more and juice the recovery for small businesses and consumers. Um, but, but that doesn't appear to be in, in the cards, you know, uh, as uh, Chair Powell said, plan for the worst and hope for the best. Maybe they get, maybe they get it done. Maybe they can meet in the middle on a, on a bunch of these items and get it done. So that was the interview with Mike Walter. Thank Thanks again. And then on Monday, I was in Reuters, thanks to Devik, Jane, and Meta Singh for including me in their article. Uh, they basically wanted to know what was uh, to focus on during the week. And um, I said that the market's looking at the stimulus bill as a nice bridge 
of one to one and a half trillion dollars to get us to the period where we either have a treatment or more likely a full vaccine toward the end of the year. So that's the idea of this, you know, the, the bid on the Republicans is a trillion. The ask on the Democrats is three point five trillion. You know, my guess is they could get something done at one point five trillion if they uh, uh, let go of liability protection and let go of mail in voting. Uh, whether they will or not before August 7th is is unknown. But the key thing is to keep the money flowing or at least a decent portion of it to the some, you know, 30 some odd million people directly and indirectly uh, impacted by the shutdown. That's the bad news. The good news is a third of those people who have lost their jobs because of the shutdown have now regained them. Uh, the bad news is we got to, you know, cover the two thirds of people until they can get back on their feet and we get this uh, this completely under control. So moving on to the article of the week, uh, this is one of my favorite songs, the Garth Brooks Friends in Low Places Stock Market and Sentiment Results. You know, we've spent a ton of time in recent weeks on the, you know, the Fed, on COVID data, uh, on US-China issues, and you know, we, we could, update you on all of that, but that's information that's readily available. So I'm going to stick to the concepts in this article because they are uh, in some sense cyclically timeless, meaning we're at that range of window when we're going to start to see uh, some of these things play out. And it's not, you know, hour by hour importance. It's more week and month by month importance. Uh, and then obviously it plays out over years. So uh, Garth Brooks has the legendary song, I've Got Friends in Low Places. And I thought that was thematic because, you know, the markets now, the S&P 500's had a 45% move off the lows. The Dow is about 41%, uh, I believe, and the NASDAQ is about 54%. So huge move. Where do you find opportunity, um, uh, remaining opportunity? Because, you know, there's a tendency after huge moves like that to want to short it because it's recency bias because you had such a crash in, in March. Everyone's looking for the next shoe to drop. Historically, that generally doesn't play out well. You will get consolidations. You will get the 5 and 10% pullbacks, but very low probability of getting you know, meaningful 20-plus percent corrections after having a, a, a huge correction. So, so if, if um, uh, you've already ridden a lot of the rally or you haven't ridden the rally, wh- where can you, where's the opportunity moving forward on a risk-reward basis? We saw tonight, obviously, uh, Facebook, Amazon, um, Apple, and Alphabet blew it out of the park. You know, they also rallied 20, 30 some odd percent into these prints. Uh, They're up big on the year. They'll probably run a little bit more, but, you know, they probably are going to take a breather in coming weeks. The buying is going to be exhausted in the short term. And then, you know, probably towards the fourth quarter again, they'll resume their rallies. But, um, uh, they crushed it, and that's good for the economy. That's good for uh, 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 that sector, and uh, it'll help the markets, which will help with consumer confidence. But what we want to look for is inefficiently priced pockets that are laggard, and that's why we talk about friends in low places, the ones that are left behind. Um, we covered a couple weeks ago in our summary of the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey 
that tech was the most crowded trade according to the uh, 200 survey respondents managing 500 billion of AUM. And we're gonna walk you through four ratio charts that map the relationship of four unloved sectors relative to the most loved or most crowded sector, which is technology. And it appears after tonight, it's gonna to get a little more crowded in coming days and may, maybe a, a few more weeks, but uh, you know they, they have had a good run and they are gonna to have to breathe at some point. We did see, obviously, in May, when the, when the coronavirus cases were coming down dramatically, that cyclicals just, you know, shot the lights out. Uh, that started again last week, and then it was delayed again this week with more flare-ups in new states. So, you know, this is a constant push-pull. Uh, when cases go up and the recovery looks slow, we get a uh, huge move into tech, yields come down, money has to pile in and pay up for what little growth there is assuming that the slowdown the the reopening is going to be delayed when it looks like there's a treatment or there's a vaccine or cases start rolling over and we're seeing a little bit of that that in the sun belt but now we have these other regions we got to pay attention to um then it's back to tech because you got to pay up for the growth yields are going to be down etc but look the the bottom line is as as this is happening on a day-to-day -day basis with the cases, uh, you know, thousands of scientists and doctors around the world are working day and night, and we continue on a daily, we're almost numb to it. Like the data is coming out so good and so, so much faster than expected on these vaccines and even quite a few treatments that we're just numb to it. It's like until they, they say, here's your vial, take your shot, um, you know, um, your vaccine, or here's the pill that you take if you get a fever and it goes away. And there's there's been a lot of rumbling about different things that are working better or worse, et cetera. So one of these things, you don't want to bet against science because one day you're going to wake up, there's going to be a solution, and then boom, cyclicals are going to just tear through the roof. So do you want to buy them when they're up or do you want to buy them when they're down? Um, you know, uh, that, that's a difference of philosophy. No one is better or worse. I tend to like to accumulate when things are down and then ride them up. Some people like to ride them when they've already moved up, you know, buy them when they've already moved up 30 or 50% and they're making new highs. And that's just a different philosophy. That That's more trading than investing. Um, but we start with the quote from Warren Buffett, I'd be a bum on the street with a tin cup if markets were always efficient. So what we're seeing in, in these four sectors that we're going to go through is inefficient pricing, maybe not inefficient pricing relative to the Q2 2020 economy, but no question about it, inefficient pricing relative to the Q2 2021 or 2022 economy, which the market would start discounting, you know, a year or more before. So, you know, it, it's pricing a backward looking scenario. And uh, as we get closer to normalcy on the health side, it will start to price the forward looking scenario. So um, the first thing we laid out was, um, uh, you know, kind of a context. These are extreme divergences that embody the essence of the Oracle's quote, the Oracle meaning Warren Buffett. These aberrations will persist indefinitely. Uh, it, to believe that the, these, these aberrations are going to persist indefinitely, you're betting against population growth. You're betting against 
85 million millennials moving aggressively into housing formation, accelerated by coronavirus. Uh, it's the trend started uh, several quarters before before coronavirus, but because the average age is 29, so that's the time that that people do it. It's later than it used to be, but you know that's about par for the course now. Uh, you'd also be betting when we talk about defense and aerospace, you'd be betting against any ge geopolitical tension. And I think that's a bad bet right now. And, and uh, you don't have to watch TV too much to know why. Uh, and you'd also be betting against the yield curve steepening, which is already happening. So uh, let's start with the yield curve. Uh, we updated this chart that we've put out a couple times in the last uh, month or two. And it's basically the steepest it's been since 2009 and 2003. Um, you know, financials had monster, monster runs after the yield curve steepened this quickly. The other point that I made was that uh, people are missing the forest for the trees because while everyone's focused on record low rates, what they're missing is it's, it's not the rates, it's the spread between the short end and the long end, which is now steeper than it was in 2009, which, which led to a multi-year uh, multi-triple digit rally and the same thing in, from 2003 to 2008. So you should definitely uh, go look at the article on hedgefundtips.com, the um, Garth Brooks friends in low places stock market and sentiment results. You can just use the search bar on the side or, or go to most popular articles. It's already the top one of the week and it was just put out this morning. Next, um, uh, I, I then charted the uh, XLF, which is the financials ETF to, to behind the XLF to the XLK, so financials to tech. The last time financials had underperformed this much relative to tech, it happened only two times in the last 20 years. It happened in 2009, and you got a monster financial rally uh, uh, coming out of that. And it happened in 2000, and again, the same thing, uh, a monster rally. So, uh, the, you know, and these are common themes that happen at the, the late, later stage of the cycle, tech dramatically outperforms because people are paying up for the growth. Cyclicals outperform coming out of recessions. Tech outperforms, you know, towards the end end, end of cycles. Um, so, and, and the reason for that is because people are paying up for the t tiny pockets of growth. Where is that growth? Whereas once the recovery looks sustainable, the, the bar of growth for growth is going to be so low that you get these high comps, high growth rates, and that's when cyclicals just roar on a relative basis to tech because then you have lots of pockets of growth that you can bid for, and those few pockets that, that perform in slow economies are now competing for the investment dollar with a plethora of cyclicals which are now growing at fast rates because it's the beginning of the new cycle. So wanted to emphasize that. Um, okay, so what, what, you know, we're talking about 
Buffett's quote about inefficiency, if the, uh, he'd be a bum if the markets were always efficient. So what was inefficient about 2009 and 2000 where financials were trading so compressed relative to um, tech stocks? And what was inefficient was that everyone was looking at the recency bias, meaning that the credit risk because you were in a recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth, which we just booked today. Um, and everyone was backward looking, oh my gosh, all these people are losing their jobs. You're going to have credit defaults, uh, uh, credit risk. You're, you're going to have defaults, et cetera, et cetera. But that's backward looking. And, and as we covered last week, the banks have already over-reserved for that due to the accounting change with Cecil. They've taken 100% of the losses. And as those prove to be too upfront, as those prove to be too conservative, uh, those reserves will be reversed and that'll come back on as income and earnings for the banks. But anyone looking out one to two years would have acknowledged that while the banks were trading at a discount to book, and we still have many... Uh, several right now trading at a discount to book, which we've covered in recent weeks, um, it would revert back to normal over time. So that's the inefficiency. It, right now they're saying that they deserve to trade at a discount to book because the defaults are going to persist in perpetuity. And we know that that's not true. So in this, in this cycle, banks are part of the solution, not part of the problem. They're under leveraged, not over leveraged. Um, so the same will be true this time. And just to put it in context, Warren Buffett uh, it reportedly bought over $5 billion of Berkshire stock, uh, did buybacks within the company in the last few weeks. But he just bought $1.2 billion of Bank of America in the last eight days, which is on top of it being, uh, if not his top position, his top one or two position. I think it's his top position and Wells Fargo's in his top five, et cetera. So uh, he's making a huge bet on the Main Street recovery, and he's back in the game. Now, what I loved about this uh, article was that I found, I dug up, you know, there have been a number of articles in the last couple of, a uh, few weeks and couple of months asking, has Warren Buffett lost his touch? So the Financial Times had an article, light on tech, heavy on banks, has Warren Buffett lost his touch? Motley Fool, has Warren Buffett lost his Midas touch? So these all came out in recent weeks, and they looked, and when I was Googling, I found the exact same headlines from the year 2000, which is when tech was dramatically outperforming relative to cyclicals and value because you were towards the end of the cycle where people had to pay up massively for growth and, um, you know, cyclicals and banks started to perform while um, uh, tech was starting to roll over. So while everyone was saying that Warren was washed up in 2000, what happened over the next eight years is Berkshire stock returned 274% in the next eight years following the last time they asked the question whether he'd lost his touch. And tech was down 53.6% over the same eight-year period for a relative outperformance by Buffett of 327%. Now, for the skeptical, skeptical people listening to this, you could say, yeah, okay, but what if you're five years early? You know, what if, uh, you know, what if it's 1998? What if it's 1995 and tech is just going to keep uh, pushing and pushing and pushing and the, the value in cyclical stocks are just going to stay subdued? Well, the other thing that you find is even in this up cycle, 
as we had many corrections in 2015, in 2011, and uh, 2011 from the euro crisis, 2015 and 16 from the uh, China and oil crisis, um, you know, the bank stocks in particular, they trade in a range from a discount to book when things look bleak to a multiple of book, one times book, two times book. We've even seen in, in euphoric cycles, three times book. And right now, you know, you've got stocks like Wells Fargo uh, uh, trading at a 35 to 38% discount to book. Uh, just a year and a half ago, it was trading at 1.75 times book. In 2009, when the last time they cut their dividend, it, it was trading uh, at a discount to book within two and a half, uh, two, two some odd months after cutting the dividend, 85%, this time they cut 80%. Um, it traded back up to book. Right now, book's around $40 a share. So that would be a, a huge move, you know, towards the end of the year uh, plus if it follows that same analog. Uh, for that to happen, obviously, we need to get a grip. We need, we need to wake up and we need to have some breakthrough to contain the virus. And whether that is a vaccine or a treatment or just herd immunity. You know, I, I think these masks are helpful and obviously we've been wearing it. Everyone up here, we went to Block Island and uh, Mystic, you know, local trip uh, last weekend and er everyone in public is wearing the masks up here. So I think that's helping. But I also think when you look at these different regions as it's migrating to different areas, these are not second waves, these are new waves for different areas. Um, you're seeing basically this abrupt peak and then a fade. And I'm not sure it's because everyone just wakes up and starts wearing masks. I think it actually, as we've covered in recent weeks, it hits a critical mass of the population of people that build antibodies, people that aren't tested, that don't even know that they had it. And you hit, you know, it might be 20%, it might be 50% with antibody people, but some critical mass in the population where there are just really no material amount of hosts left and the virus just slowly dies down and then it compounds with people following the directives with the masks and that helps it as well and then it just kind of goes away as we've seen in the, in the epicenter in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. So um, it could be any of those things, but that's what's gonna need, be needed to catalyze this rotation uh, moving forward. So the other thing that Buffett said is opportunities come infrequently. Okay. So, you know, you'd have to look hard. Maybe you'd find three, four times in the last 20 years where you could buy these high quality money center banks at a discount to book, uh, not all of them, but some of them. Uh, and when you did each time you were handsomely rewarded over the next few years. So what Buffett is saying is when it rains gold, Put out a bucket, not a thimble, and that's that's exactly what he's doing these days with his own with which with his own stock, which is a financial, with Berkshire stock, with doing a ten billion dollar uh, natural gas asset deal for another cyclical sector, and then doing the ten billion dollar oxy deal last year, which in the short term has been uh, a disaster, and you know three, four, five years out, it's going to be a home run, probably multiplied times five. Um, when you look at the supply demand imbalance and everyone's going to say, yep, he's a genius. You know, right now they're saying, has he lost his magic touch? Then they're going to say the undisputed, you know, heavyweight champion of the world uh, five years from now when, when he's uh, on top of the world again. So, um, you know, th there, there's an old adage in the business, by the way, the best time to buy 
a manager is, you know, a proven manager who's had a rough patch. You know, most people, when they buy mutual funds, they look at the last three years performance and they buy someone after, you know, right after they've had a five-year run um, and they're, you know, they're, they're top ticking it, you know, in the case of Buffett and what he's buying, you know, right now he's a little bit out of favor, but that's when you buy the best of the best. It, it, it's just like you buy the, the top banks when they're trading at a discount to book in the middle of a recession, because as you come out, they're going to have the fastest growth in the early parts of the cycle. You also buy the best managers when they're underperforming in their strategy because their strategy, provided they don't have style drift, comes right back and they, and they just fly and outperform everyone. Um, so that's just a little tip. But um, okay, so the next sector that we covered is defense stocks relative to tech stocks. And the last time we had a divergence where they've underperformed relative to tech, which is the most crowded. So defense, industrials, aerospace, early cycle outperformer because the growth bar is low. Uh, tech, late cycle outperformer because the growth is scarce and people pay up for it. Um, last time we saw this was 2003 and basically, and also in 2012, what happened after that, um, the defense sector rallied 201% and then 346% after such an extreme like this. Um, so, you know, to bet against these opportunities, you really have to say that no one's ever going to fly again or, you know, no one's ever going to want to defend their countries. And, you know, the, the big elephant in the room is the increased rhetoric with China um, they're a little bit behind now on their phase one purchases. I think they'll probably uh, pick pick up the pace. But, you know, there are a number of points of, of rhetoric between the South China Sea, between what happened in Hong Kong, between now uh, with Taiwan. Uh, that, that, that kind of rhetoric is going to continue to persist. Whether it leads to anything more is unknown. Uh, I'll usually take the under on that. But... Um, what it is going to do is draw attention to the need for defense um, strength. And, the, and it's also going to draw attention to the low valuations of the defense and aerospace sector. So that's another one that, you know, I'm kind of pounding the table, very interested in and, uh, and adding on, on weakness. So the next area is energy to tech. Uh, we've covered this uh, uh, quite a bit. And the last times that you had that, what the XLE, I did the XLE relative to tech. When it was trading at this big of an extreme, you have to go all the way, again, back to 2000. And the XLE had a 393% rally following that period of inefficiency. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about electric cars. You know, it, it's, it's, yes, it's the future, but you also have a growing population um, we're going to need all types of energy. We're going to need 100% of whatever we can produce in renewables and solar, 100% uh, of what we can produce in carbon, uh, because the population is going to continue to grow. And, and, and we're myopic in that we look at the developed world uh, and the birth rate going down. But, you know, when you look at the major growers in the emerging markets in Africa, in India, you know, those populations just continue to grow and are going to and are going to continue to to just accelerate. So we're going to need all the energy we can get renewables, energy, uh, um, uh, carbon, etc. And 
uh, did a 30-minute segment for CNBC in Indonesia if you want to see about commodities, inflation, emerging markets, trends, demographics. It's, it's very comprehensive and, and definitely worth a read if you want to get into greater detail. But if you want to just get the theme, the theme is we are at an inefficient period. These are priced for death. They're priced like whale oil. And I, I think that's a premature bet, the whale oil uh, bet. I, I, I don't think we're close to that yet. You know, that might be 30 years off. Um, uh, and the population would really have to stop growing for that to, to be a legitimate thesis. Uh, and and that's, that's not showing up in the data at present. So as I mentioned, Warren Buffett buys when other people are selling. He did a $10 billion, well, $20 billion of deals in the last basically 12 months in the energy sector. Uh, in the case of Dominion, it was natural gas transmission and storage assets. He also got a uh, big piece of Cove Point, which is one of the LNG ter terminals where we're going to be exporting the Marcellus uh, gas out to Europe, out to all, all different parts of the world. So that's that's a very valuable asset that, that he got. Um, this chart we put out about a month ago. It relates to the OPEC cuts, which persist through April 2022, and it anticipated that the uh, build from coronavirus would turn into a shortage starting in late June and July. That has come to bear. If you look at the numbers since then, we went from the build from coronavirus, and now we've just had the biggest crude draw this week since last year. And as you can see here, this market, you've got five years of uh, underinvestment in major projects, and that's all going to come to a head in 2021. But in the meantime, you're seeing these draws um, that are going to persist with this, uh, the OPEC cuts and the supply-demand imbalance. So uh, I think Buffett's really well positioned, and if you look at history, uh, it, it paid materially to be a buyer at this level of extreme uh, divergence. Uh, and inefficiency. And finally, which we pounded the table on uh, at the uh, crash in March and April was home builders. They've already had a monster run. Uh, so they're at new highs uh, and that's been a monster, monster, monster trade. Um, but that's going to persist. That's a secular trend. That's uh, just doing the math of the demographics of the millennials, 85 million. The last time we had a housing boom like this was the boomers, which were only 80 million people. They're starting a little bit later, the millennials, but they're starting now. And um, so, uh, so there will be more opportunities. Those are buys on weakness, uh, although there has been no weakness lately. And uh, um, that, that's a great thing, because uh, if you were listening with us uh, through the crash, uh, you took advantage of it. Next, um, I can't tell you, so I, I wrap this up. I can't tell you when the downpour of inefficiency, that's what we're dealing with with these four sectors slash subsectors, will stop. Okay, but if you look at it as a downpouring of opportunity versus, oh, when is money going to rotate back into cyclicals? You know, I, I hope it's not tomorrow. I'd like to buy more, you know, more weakness. Today, there was weak, big weakness in the banks today. That was a huge opportunity. So um, these are periods of opportunity. And rather than begging for an umbrella and say, when's it going to change? Look for the bucket, you know, as Warren Buffett says, in those few instances in life, opportunities come in frequently when it rains gold, 
put out the bucket, not the thimble. And that's what he's doing to the tune of uh, so far $21 billion in cyclical sectors in the last 12 months. And I think there's uh, no 26 because he did 5 billion of his own stock reportedly. So that's that's a lot of money. That's about uh, 20 you know, that's about 20% of his dry powder. Remember, he's got a reserve probably 50 to $70 billion for potential uh, COVID liability. Uh, that is uncertain for him. So he's effectively put up, you know, call it half of the cash that he'd be willing to put up cash, put up. And he also likes to keep $20, $20 billion of cash lying around for a rainy day on top of what he expects worst case insurance liability to be. So, you know, he's he's basically all in on this stuff that no one wants. And these are the times when they write these articles. Has he lost his touch? Is, you know, is he out of it? And the next five years, he just crushes it because it's the beginning of a new cycle. He's loaded up on cyclicals and value and it's off to the races. And it'll be no different this time. It's just a question of when. So, you know, maybe they get to put a few more articles out saying how wrong it is. And, and then, you know, he'll have the last laugh. Uh, onto the sh general view, uh, shorter view, what was surprising this week is the AAII sentiment survey results for individual investors came in, bullishness dropped to 20%. Now, historically, this is a buy point. This is where you buy when there's that much pessimism in the market. Bearishness jumped to 48. These are both buy indicators historically, not 100% of the time, but probabilistically you want to be a buyer not a seller which is kind of odd when we're knocking on you know uh obviously we're we're just about positive on the S&P we're you know new highs on the Nasdaq it's like you know there's some a little bit of euphoria in the Nasdaq and people just don't buy it which means it pushes higher with the wall of worry that's also confirmed by the fear and greed index after a 45% rally it's only at 65 euphoria is between 80 to 100 haven't got there yet, man. People are not buying in, and that's the wall of worry to climb. Who has bought in in the last week is the active investment managers are now at 97%. That doesn't mean you go automatically get a crash. It does mean we got to keep our eye on it right now. You know, you got another move like that in 2018. You got to move to 100, and the market just kept rallying. So, you know, none of these are hard and fast, black and white, but you use them as a mosaic to just give you an edge to keep a pulse on things. So that's just a a yellow warning light to keep in the back of our mind that we didn't have last week. Uh, but then we got two green lights from the other two indicators. So again, um, that was a big divergence though. So we remain very constructive in the intermediate term. We use any weakness to uh, over, the next, over the summer and fall to add to cyclical, unfavored, laggard, quote, friends in low places. <laughs> so, um, and uh, wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of volatility and chop related to the stimulus bill and earnings over the next week, few weeks, et cetera. And that just creates opportunity. So until next time, it's time to make some friends in low places. Um, okay, we went through most of the key things with China as they relate to defense stocks. The Fed stepped up in the FOMC statement this week and said that they will use a full range of tools to support the U.S. economy in this challenging time, thereby promoting maximum employment and price stability goals. Um, path of the economy will depend significantly on the course of the virus. I just spent 20 minutes on that. And um, the committee decided to maintain the target range. Okay, so the no move in rates, we know that. And the other thing that they put in here, which is not a big change, committee will assess 
realized and expected economic conditions relative to its maximum employment objective. So in other words, they're not going to change anything. All they're going to do is continue asset purchases until they're at full employment, which, you know, we're at whatever it is, 11%. They've got to get that down to mid to low single digits. And it's symmetric 2% inflation objective, which means they want to stay above 2% for some significant period of time. In And if they're fully symmetric, they would stay to the exact amount of time that they were below 2%, they would stay above 2%. They won't do that, but that's what symmetric means. Um, so in other words, they're saying, we're going to let it run hot if we can actually get it hot. And... Okay, to support the flow of credit to households and businesses, Federal Reserve will increase its holdings of treasury securities and agency residential and commercial mortgage-backed security at least at the current pace to sustain smooth market functioning, thereby fostering trans uh, effective transmission of monetary policy to broader financial conditions. In addition, the open market desk will continue to offer large-scale overnight and term repurchase agreement operations so that gives them more flexibility they haven't done much repo of late uh because that kind of calmed itself but they're basically saying if we want to inject money quickly we we have and will do so um we covered the collins amendment that would be amazing if that got stuck into the um package if we get a package if we don't i think we'll get an executive order and all will be well uh, economic data this week, obviously durable goods orders was fantastic. I covered that with Liz as well. That was in line with the economic surprise index, beating to the upside consistently. Um, the crude draw was a monster draw. They were looking at a build of uh, 350,000. They got a draw of 10 million barrels. Um, continuing claims was a little higher than we would have liked. And, you know, we're seeing, look, you can't, you know, we saw that has to, there has to be an impact of that. We saw it in the Sun Belt in recent weeks that that was reflected in continuing jobless claims as you know restaurants re reclosed, etc. The GDP came in better than expected. Hooray, throw a party, negative 32.9%. Okay, so it was expected to be negative 34. Originally, it was going to be negative 40, according to, uh, um, I guess it was the IMF. Um and initial jobless claims beat, so that's good. They expected 1.45, 1.43 uh, came in. And that's not bad. Considering the spike ups, that's a good thing. As those spikes come down, it, it's stubbornly appearing to roll over new cases. If that would persist, if we've hit that critical mass, that would be an amazing thing. Tomorrow we have uh, consumer confidence. That'll be an important number, so keep an eye on that. Earnings have been better than expected. More than uh, three quarters have beat. Um, so far, we'll see what that number looks like tomorrow. Uh, FactSet will put out their new analysis, but I guess it'll be in line with what we've seen, if not better. You can just see this is a sea of green. All these regional banks are just crushing it. Um, Cincinnati Financial, um, let's just go through a number of names here. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. These are all small companies, so I don't want to spend a lot of time. Um, Asset Manager beat, Bank of Hawaii beat. Um, ton of, pretty much all the small banks, NBTB, NWBI, HTLF, LKFN. Not only are they all beating, 
all all the insider buying you're seeing hit the tape is all these small and regional banks people buying up their their own stock and you're seeing a ton of energy and financials today there was just a monster amount of Citibank call options long dated 2021-2022 January you can see and deep in the money Citibank like bam 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 huge buys institutional buys you're just seeing it all over while everyone's focused on it's kind of like the illusionist you know the magician has you look at one hand look at this shiny object called fang and then in the other hand he's he's you know scooping up all these discounted inefficiently priced uh, stocks when you when you have a 12 to 24 month uh, outlook uh, first first bank shares I mean they're all just crushing it just small bank after small bank uh, citizen financial. I mean, it is just beat after beat. Bank 7, I've never even heard of it. MRBK, they're just all beating in, in like a horrible quarter. Uh, Pfizer beat on Tuesday. McDonald's missed a bit. That's understandable. Restaurant business. Amgen beat. Starbucks beat. Um, industrials, you know, 3M miss, of course. Um, Raytheon beat. Stock still traded weak. Again, that's a defense stock. I think there's going to be huge opportunity. If I read correctly, there were a ton of F-35s in the, in the Republican stimulus package. So we'll see if that gets through. Uh, Sherwin-Williams. Uh, it's not just the Republicans. I'm, I'm sure there was some fluff in the $3.5 trillion deal as well on uh, the uh, heels. What do we have? Heels and hopes or something. Let's see. Heels and... Uh, I knew this on Monday when I was talking to Mike on uh, CGTN. Heels and heroes, okay? They, they always sound so good. Uh, all right, e eBay, Cummins, trucking, that, that's great to see. Home builders obviously continue to beat. I mean, there's a lot of green shoots out there, That that's for sure. Um, and then tonight, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, all crushed it. Uh, Alphabet was probably the weakest. Uh, their Google ad sales fell a bit, but uh, it looked stable after hours. Well, we're going to see, though. You know, it might be a buy the rumor, lighten up on the news. Let's see how they – after hours, they were obviously all up big, light volume. Um, that's generally not what when institutions are active in the market. That's other type of traders. So – uh, we'll see how it plays out over the next few days after that the euphoria uh, kind of dies down. Uh, but you know it's great news for the economy when you just see all these companies beating. It's just it's good. It's good for uh, good for everyone. Um, again, banks, banks, banks beating, 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 beating. This is good. Um, and, and you know, to there's something to that. You know, going back to it's not historically low rates it's the spread between what banks pay for cap capital and, or what banks pay for their money and what banks charge for their money and that spread is like 2003 and 2009 and and banks just took off after that um boeing was a miss not a big surprise i mean airlines are hurting but uh that that may be some longer term opportunity general dynamics beat that was a defense stock that was nice to see so you can go through these. Um, I'm looking at these at investing.com, and it just gives you a good feel for what's working and what's not in the short term. Um, and obviously pick out a few and, and get the earnings call transcripts if you want to know more. 
Um, other than that, I think we're going to wrap it up for this week. We've covered quite a bit on the thesis. But if you understand the core thesis and, you know, it's it's kind of your DNA. Either you're a person that likes to buy things when they're out of favor and then ride the recovery and, and just do tremendous things or you like to you know kind of jump on and jump off things that are hot it's just a different mindset that's that's uh that's not what we do here um many many paths to the top of the mountain but uh this one's worked very well and i hope you found that helpful this week make it a great weekend and we'll see you back next week next week we'll probably go back to friday night probably be a bit longer uh, but for this week, if you understood those uh, four friends in low places, you, you understood everything you need to know for this part of the cycle and have a great week.